Everybody's ready to go. He's ready to go. I'm ready to go. And you're ready to go. Well, if you want to lose your money, then bet on funny. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. He's too ugly to be the world champ. The world champ should be pretty like me. You reach, I teach. Oh, lesson just started. That's an interception, folks. I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm not a, I'm not a kid. Barr back to pass, pumps to the left. Eight seconds left. He gets away from the pressure. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Call Knurkle butter. Because he is on a roll. Derek Jeter in first. Booyah! All the dreams, all the hopes for the national championship come down to this play. Young from the shotgun. Back to throw. Vince looks. Under pressure. He'll tuck it in and run. Vince to the five. Young. Touchdown, Texas. Touchdown, Vince Young. Yellow. Welcome back to the Jet Suite Podcast, hosted by the one and only Rhett the Jet, where I'm bringing you in motion and handing off the latest news, topics, and scores around the league. I think it was a good first week of college football. Gave us a lot of eye tests for some teams with new quarterbacks, new head coaches. We had Auburn, Washington, West Virginia, Tennessee, Michigan, Notre Dame, Louisville, Alabama, Miami, LSU, Ole Miss, Texas Tech. We had some upsets, Maryland, Texas. Uh, Got a good look at Ohio State and Oregon State. Uh, Appalachian State holding on. To Penn State's ankles, basically, in a overtime victory. Some some really interesting things that, uh, like I said, gave us a little taste of what's to come this season. Some good, some bad, and of course the ugly. This episode, I'm not really going to go into the format as I did last season. This episode, I'm talking Texas and Herman. Michigan and Harbaugh, and Texas A&M Aggie fans. Should be a good episode. Have a lot of thoughts on my mind after that embarrassing loss at FedEx Field to Maryland. Second year in a row, Tom Herman drops the opening game. Second year in a row, it's to Maryland, who doesn't have a head coach or did not have a head coach that particular game. They had an dear teammate offensive lineman who had a unfortunate tragic event during a summer workout ended up passing away uh, during those or after those workouts. Uh, very tragic. A lot of emotion for Maryland. Of course the strength and conditioning coach resigned. Head coach is suspended pending investigation it was it was a weird ball game. Of course, a lot of a lot of Longhorns are disappointed. We saw some of the exact same things as we did last year. And the most disappointing is is Tom Herman how he gave fans, the college football world, uh players, families, you know, parents and and siblings and etc all this hype Coming into the fall season after what was said to be a good spring, a good summer, and then a really good fall camp. We had some big-time freshmen come in. B.J. Foster, Caden Stearns, uh, Cameron Rising, uh, Ingram in the backfield, uh, Calvin Anderson at the left tackle spot, graduate transfer from Rice. 
Trey Watson out of a uh, out of Cal as a grad transfer. So a lot of a lot of mixed emotions, a lot of excitement, uh, very anxious uh, coming into this first game. But it was it was the same shit we saw last season. Um, offensively, had no fucking rhythm. And this episode, I'm. <laughs> Folks, I'm I'm gonna talk dirty. I'm I'm gonna drop some f bombs, shits, you know, etc. But as an avid Texas fan, as y'all may know or realize, it was very disappointing. Offensive came out more flat than a, a Dr Pepper that's been open for a week. Ellinger gets the nod from Herman as starting quarterback. Uh, supposedly, the offensive line was healthy, ready to go, would battle in the trenches. False. Only thing that was really consistent was the receiving core. You got Colin Johnson on the outside, little Jordan Humphrey. They were making some some big-time catches if and when Ellinger got them the ball. Ellinger, I will will give the offensive line there in pass protection. Ellinger was only sacked once. Uh, Obviously, he's more of a runner than Shane Bouchelle. I think Shane Bouchelle is more of a passer. But like I said, Unlinger got the nod. I think a lot of his hype, his heart, his will, his his thrive to win, and his energy is what got him the starting job. But it was the exact opposite of what he showcased in Maryland. And Tom Herman coming into the season, he would not name a play caller. Whether it's Tim Beck, uh, Warheim, or Tom Herman, Herman would not name a play caller. Uh, maybe that's to disguise the blame. Uh, but Tim Tim Beck, who I assumed was calling plays, very predictable, very uh, not boring, but unproductive. It, w- it was the same shit over and over. And then I think Tom Herman took over when the tempo started to rise and Texas eventually getting their first score. Uh, I think... Texas's defense that game played really well. I know they gave up 24 in the first half, but Texas's offense couldn't stay on the field. I mean, after going three and outs over and over and over, your defense is going to get fatigued. And field position had a lot to do with that scoreboard in the first half. Um, we have a bad punt uh, by the true freshman punter out of uh australia he has a like a 15 yard punt jesus no more michael dixon back there 15 yard punt very next play maryland runs a reverse pass for a score uh one of the very first series uh maryland gives the ball to chris boyd right to his chest drops the interception very next play maryland scores so that's 14 Right off of field position and potential points for Texas. But Maryland capitalizes. Maryland looked fucking textbook on that first series. Driving downfield. Wearing out the defense. Sideline to sideline. Defense looked slow. Um, Johnson, Gary Johnson, uh, looked, looked kind of slow. He didn't get into rhythm. Got ejected for a targeting penalty. Anthony Wheeler was already ejected from 
the second half of the Missouri game, the bowl game from last year. So he didn't even get to play the first half. And we were already thin. McCulloch came through. Hager looked a little flat. But I think the defense will be fine. It was just that first half, they could not stay off the field. Offense wasn't doing their job. Second half, the defense looked great. Even gave off the offense opportunities to close the game, win the game. Ellinger and the offense could not capitalize. We'll get to that. But I think the defense, Todd Orlando's defense, will be in shape and come together as the season progresses. Kind of like last year. We got a lot of a lot of young guys playing. Obviously, Malik Jefferson, Deshaun Elliott, uh, Puna Ford on, on the in the trenches. Those those guys left. Uh, so we we have some young guys filling in, but that is not an excuse to drop a loss to Maryland. Few things. Uh, Ellinger, I think, played okay the first half. I mean, he didn't turn the ball over. I think a lot of it had to do with the play calling. But he just looked flat. He he had no energy. He wasn't pumping up the offensive line, the backs, the receivers. Just looked flat. I think he was trying too hard to make a great play rather than just doing what he does best, going with the flow, making things happen, letting instinct take over. First half, I think he looked okay. Overall, he was 21 of 39, 263 yards, two scores, and two INTs. And we'll get to those <laughs> those INTs in a little bit. But just flat all around offensively. A lot of that is on Tim Beck um, and Tom Herman because supposedly the play calls went through Tom Herman. Tom Herman approved. But then Tom Herman picked up tempo, ultimately led, ultimately led their first quarter drive, or their first score. Um, but it was just bad all around. It, it was a very, very big, upsetting um, upsetting game. I mean, Texas only puts up um, 22 points. Uh, 15 of those come in the second quarter. Seven points in the first quarter. So at, at halftime, it was 24-22, to 22, but that first quarter was just dominated by Maryland. I mean, dominated. The jet sweep kept coming to Hager. Finally, second half, he adjusted. But they were, they were the better team. They really were. Um, as far as the running back situation, Ingram, Trey Watson, I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't agree with it because you can't expect – those guys to get in rhythm if they're coming out every two or three plays. You just can't do it. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Ellinger was the third best rusher with 30 yards on seven attempts. Ingram with a score, six carries, 37 yards. We didn't see him second half, and we'll get to that as well. Trey Washington, the grad transfer from Cal, 12 carries, 52 yards. Kyle Porter came in a little bit, had a, had a score, but... Ingram looked good. He made some good cuts, good visions. He made some plays, but didn't see the second half due to game experience and maturity. According to Tom Herman, he didn't feel comfortable putting a true freshman in that situation coming out of a hour rain delay, uh, getting warmed up, etc., etc. Didn't even play in the second half. 
I think from the Maryland game, just off of those six carries, I think he is quicker, more agile than any other backs on the depth chart. Gave Watson the go-ahead in the second half, who had a very controversial fumble. Um, lost control. Then it looked like he gained control again and then lost it. And then it got overturned as uh, it was one of those series that Texas had a chance to go down and win it. And that was one of three turnovers in the fourth quarter that could have led to the potential game-winning drive. But Ellinger, I mean, a lot of speculation, controversy coming in. Uh, Shane Bouchelle, Ellinger, you also had Cameron uh, Rising coming in. Could be a threat, but I think Tom Herman wants to give him the red shirt. But last year, Ellinger, like I said, had that hype. He had that excitement about him that Texas has been has been needing for the past decade. I mean, the last good quarterback was Colt McCoy in 2009, led the team to the national championship game versus Alabama, got hurt in the first quarter. Garrett Gilbert came in, womp, womp, womp. So the past decade, we haven't had that leader at quarterback, and we have not found it. And then last year gave us a little glimpse that, hey, it could be Ellinger. You know, depending on his pocket presence, his arm, it could be him. He had all the tangibles uh, to be a good quarterback. And don't get me wrong, it's it's still early. It's a one-game loss by five on the road, weather delay, I understand. But as a sophomore, the same mistakes that he made uh, that we saw last year versus um, USC fumbling on the goal line, uh, that could ultimately gave us a win. Throwing it up versus Ohio, uh, Oklahoma State, I'm sorry, in the end zone with no Longhorn receiver around. Literally just threw it up to the Cowboys' defense. Picked it over time. And then the last-minute pick versus Texas Tech that gave them ultimately gave them the victory. Those late turnovers and mistakes were true freshman turnovers. Uh, but with his experience last year getting the starts, playing in those big games, the Oklahomas, the USC's, the West Virginia's, etc., we as fans expected him to come out like his ass was on fire. Instead, he was dwelling around, no energy, no leadership, no vocalism. Just came out flat, like I said. Um, and then the fourth quarter rolls around. We were up 29-24. Then Maryland jumps back up 34-29. Texas's defense gave them three chances to come back and win that game. Let the offense take over and win that game. But Ellinger with two picks. Trey Watson with the controversial fumble. And let's let's go to what Ellinger had to say. Remember, it was about a minute six left on the clock, fourth quarter, driving in on the 30-yard line, third and ten. And here's what Ellinger had to say. On third down with a minute left, down five, third and ten. Um, there's, you, can't, you can't throw the ball away. You can't run the ball. 
Um, the only way you're going to win the game is by taking some chances. They're going to drop eight guys in the coverage right. in that situation. Um, so if, if, you, if you want to play conservative and play, oh, shoot, no one's open, throw the ball away, mm -hmm. um, that's cool and all, but right. the time will run out. You're not, you're not, you don't have a chance to win. Um, and in that situation, unfortunately, you have to put the ball in risky situations where um, they, they, you have a chance to win. And so um, rolling right, I think that it was just – overthrown by a little bit too much and uh, 25 made a great play. Whoa, 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 whoa. Run run that back. Run, please run that back. On third down with a minute left, down five, third and ten, um, there's, you can't, you can't throw the ball away. You can't run the ball. Um, <laughs> I'm not a Division One collegiate quarterback, but to say you can't throw the ball away or run it on a third and ten, down five going in on the 30-yard line with a minute left. It's just ignorant. It's just asinine. It really makes you wonder what they're coaching down there in Austin. Who's the quarterback coach? I mean, who teaches their quarterback in that, situations, in that situation that you can't throw the ball away? That you can't run out of bounds? It's third down. Now, fourth down, totally understand. Throw up a, throw up a shot. Give your receiver a chance, but that was not the case, Ellinger. We saw this last year, and that's why everyone in Austin is as frustrated as they are. You throw the ball away, you have another down. Live to fight another down. You only have to get 10 yards. First down stops the clock. The average football play takes six seconds. You get the first down. Stops the clock, you, and you can spike the ball. Kill it down if you need to. But there are many, many of options that you could have gone through or done other than throw up a prayer and triple coverage on third and ten to sacrifice the team's spring workouts, summer workouts, and fall workouts to – have an opportunity on fourth down. Live to fight another down. Needy, not greedy. Third down. Ten yards to go. All you need. Stops the clock. But to say that you cannot throw it away or run out of bounds or get the first down is just asinine. That, that shows me that you are not aware of the situation in its full extent. And you just try to make a play that wasn't there and, and wasn't necessary. As for Tom Herman, he always preaches uh, in summer workouts, fall camp. And he actually said this coming into Maryland week. How will our guys respond when they're down 10? How will they respond? I mean, they were down uh, 24 to 7 at one point. Before halftime, they climbed back in it. Up-tempo offense, made some things happen, 24-22, okay? Texas comes out and scores. They responded well in that, in that sense coming out of halftime. And then a very odd thing happened with an hour-and-a-half weather delay. Uh, rumors are that Tom Herman ordered pizza for the players. I don't know how true that is. But a, a reporter had mentioned it. Don't know how true it is. But if that's true, goodness gracious, <laughs> you deserve to lose the ball game. But fourth quarter, they, they hold Maryland 
to a few points. Like I said, it was 34-29 in the late fourth quarter. Ellinger throws an interception. He says his arm got, got hit. I don't believe it. Trey Watson fumbles, throws another pick to end the game. You cannot blame the weather delay because Maryland went through the same thing. Even though they put up very minimal points and the Texas defense held them numerous of times to give the ball back to the offense, how are you going to respond, Herman? How are you going to get your players not to come out flat? How are you going to get to your players to commit to the program? How are you going to get recruits to buy into what you're preaching without the results in the win column? It's not going to happen, man. How are you going to respond when Tim Beck draws up middle school plays? Draws up a middle school series, offensive series. It, it, It just can't happen. Things have to change, and it starts with you because your your players responded the first half and the third quarter. The weather delay, yeah, that's a hiccup, but Maryland went through it too. Didn't turn the ball over. Didn't force anything. They weren't as productive as they were the first half, but they did not turn the ball over. How are you going to respond, Herman? Tom Herman and the Texas Longhorns host... Tulsa this coming Saturday and Austin at DKR. Look for some showers. Look for a weather delay again. So we'll see how Herman and his staff get their players ready, energized, and come out to really showcase what has been hyped and preached about in the spring, summer, and fall camps. Something has to change. We'll see. Move on to Michigan, Jim Harbaugh. And Jim, Jim got there in 2015. Was 6-2 in the Big Ten. His first season, he was 10-3. Won a bowl game. Second season, 10-3. 7-2 in the Big, team, Big Ten. Lost a bowl game. Last year, his worst year, 8-5. 5-4 in the Big Ten. And lost the bowl game. Played Notre Dame this past weekend. And Harbaugh is is known as the as a Ric Flair type, the flashy, the the recruiting animal, the controversial uh, way to do things. The the recruiting camps, uh, taking his team abroad, doing all these spectacular spectacular things that Michigan, a prominent university, can can offer these players but is always ridiculed for not being able to win the big one. And this past weekend was no different. I actually picked Michigan to win the Big Ten. Ohio State played Oregon State. They looked good. Wisconsin didn't, didn't watch them play. Um, but I, I picked Michigan, and I, I still like Michigan. And the big thing is Shea Patterson. Um, I think he really made a good noticeable difference in the offense just a tad bit. I'm not I'm not saying he went off for, you know, X amount of yards, but having an experienced quarterback who played in the SEC at Old Miss, I think ultimately helped Michigan. And I I mean Notre Dame is a is a prominent program this year. They're no pushover. Uh and Notre Dame only won by one by seven. I mean 
I still like Michigan, but there comes a time in, in Jim Harbaugh's fourth year. He's he's starting to get his recruits, right? First first two seasons, 10-3. and 10-win program last year, 8-win program. But starting off this year, number 14 ranked, losing to 12th ranked Notre Dame, 24-17. to But ultimately, I still like Michigan over Michigan State. Ohio State and Wisconsin, really the only three. And he had Penn State, but they just went into overtime to Appalachian State. I mean, and and Appalachian State is known for that big defeat over Michigan, ironically, uh, 10, 11 years ago, and they almost did a repeat to Penn State. Shea Patterson, 20 for 30, 230 yards, one INT. Uh, Higdon with with the rush. 21 carries, 72 yards, and one score. Defense overall looked pretty good. Um, I didn't see anything spectacular from Notre Dame. Uh, their quarterback was 12 of 22, 170 yards, one TD, one INT. I just and their and their quarterback was their Russian or leading rusher. I just didn't see anything special about Notre Dame, but I still have Michigan coming out of the Big Ten over Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin. Now we get into the juicier part of conversation. Over the past few weeks, I've had a lot of conversations, debates, arguments with Texas A&M Aggie fans. And it's frustrating um, because they've had a Heisman winner. They made a Cotton Bowl appearance. They beat Alabama. They hired a multi-million dollar coach. $70 $70 million coach, actually, and everything is just glorious, perfect, way better than what's going on in Austin, trolling Texas and Tom Herman with a 7-7 seven on, seven and seven record, losing, losing to Maryland, losing to Kansas, X, Y, and Z. So in 2012, after losing to Texas by a field goal, a winning field goal, they moved to the SEC, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Florida, etc. Because of the Texas Longhorn Network. Okay, money decision. Uh, Missouri left, Nebraska, Colorado over the years all have dispersed into the Big Ten and the SEC. Question, and this is rhetorical. When was the last conference championship for Texas A&M football? It was in 1998 in the Big 12. Okay? How many 10-win seasons has A&M had since 1998? Two. The last one coming in 2012 when they had Mr. Johnny Football, a.k.a. Johnny Manziel, a.k.a. Heisman. Okay. Since 2010, both programs, Texas and Texas A&M, has had three head coaches. Texas A&M has Mike Sherman, Kevin Sumlin, and Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo obviously 1-0 in his tenure at Texas A&M, beating Northwestern State. Prestigious. Good job. Texas also has had three head coaches since 2010. Mac Brown, Charlie Strong, and Tom Herman. Tom Herman 
in his second year, 7-7 seven and seven, as the head coach of the Texas Longhorns. In the last decade, it's 2018, so let's go back to 2008. In the last decade, how many conference titles has each program had? Texas has, has had one with Colt McCoy in 2009 when they made a national championship appearance. Lost to Alabama after Colt going down in the first quarter. Texas A&M has had zero. When was the last 10-win season for each program? Like I just said, A&M, A&M's coming in 2012. Texas is coming in 2009. The only respectable thing Texas A&M has done better than Texas is produce a Heisman winner. Johnny Manziel, still an individual award in which that season they played Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. Not prestigious. I'm sorry. It wasn't a BCS Bowl. Uh, college playoff wasn't born then, but it wasn't a BCS Bowl. It's not prestigious. I'm sorry. Husband winner, Cotton Bowl, congrats. Texas has been there many of times. Two 10-win season in the last 20 years. No conference titles, but yet somehow... College Station has had this fairy tale success that has them on a pedestal over what's going on in Austin. Yes, Texas has been down in the dumps for the last decade after Colt McCoy left, had Garrett Gilbert, David Ash, uh, Case McCoy, um, Tyron Swoops, Gerard Hurd, now or Shane Bouchelle, now Ellinger. But things in, in College Station aren't much better than what's going on in Austin. A lot of 7-8 win seasons. Texas has a few losing seasons. But that is nothing to boast about or talk down to the Texas Longhorns. Because virtually, you're in the same situation. I'm sorry, but you cannot claim the success... Of the Alabamas, the Auburns, um, the the Georgias. You cannot claim that success. Seven and eight wins in the SEC is not a something to be proud of. I mean, it's just not. You want to be able to reach what was a BCS Bowl, but is now a college playoff berth. And seven and eight wins in the SEC or any conference at that matter is not going to get that job done. But you cannot carry or piggyback on the success of the Bamas, the Auburns, and the Georgias. You can't chant SEC, SEC, because while you were in the Big 12, you did not do anything since 1998. Anything. No conference championships. You still are trailing Texas and the win-loss column and the overall rivalry, in which, in recent weeks, Texas A&M AD has turned down the opportunity or offer to play Texas in the future to bring back the rivalry, the rivalry that is so rich and so deep that is talked about and debated Year in, year out in college football. Think about this. Texas A&M's AD said that it was a scheduled conflict for the future. I'm sorry, but 
any schedule four to six to eight years out, you can maneuver that shit. You can change that shit around, move teams in or out, etc. Okay? How can you turn down such a rich rivalry when you have teams like Northwestern State, UAB, ULM, on your non-conference schedule. Yeah, you're saying, yeah, we played Clemson this week. Who do y'all play? Yeah, we play Tulsa. But Texas is one of few teams that plays 11 Power 5 schools. Power 5 schools. And Tulsa is still in the FBS. They're not FCS, like Northwestern State. So how can you deflect and turn down Texas when you're scheduling those kind of opponents? Texas A&M only plays eight Conference games. Four non-conference games. One of which, which I just mentioned, is an FCS team. Northwestern State. Good job. Prestigious. Way to go. Confidence booster. I get it. You play UAB and ULM. And you play Clemson. Kudos to the Clemson. I got you. But four non-conference games. One of which played in November. While... Almost every other Power 5 school, and Alabama does the same shit too. Don't don't get me wrong. But while every other Power 5 school is playing for a conference standing and a conference championship, or more importantly, a college playoff berth, you're playing a cupcake team in the middle of November. How is that respectable? How is that respectable when you turn down the chance to play Texas and bring back that rivalry? I don't understand it because guess who else does it? Georgia Tech, Georgia. Florida, Florida State. They play non-conference games, but they're still rivalries. And you look, you say, well, our our conference is, is a lot harder, so we need the cupcakes. Let's go over your schedule. Northwestern State, Clemson, UL Monroe, Alabama, Arkansas, Arkansas. <laughs> hey, yo. Kentucky, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Auburn, Ole Miss, UAB, LSU. I'm not convinced on LSU, even though they had a dominant showing versus Miami. And I think that was more on Miami than LSU. But that still does not give you the right to schedule FCS teams and turn down Texas in the future. I just don't understand that. So... You're saying, oh, it's a dumpster fire in Austin. They can't fucking figure it out. They get all these recruits, can't produce. Well, what the hell's going on in that in, in Aggieland? College Station. The same shit. Not producing. Not producing. Head coaching changes. Not producing. So, neither team has done anything in the last decade to brag about. So... We want to argue, we want to debate on who's better. Ultimately, Texas leads the series. Texas has the most recent national championship, has the most recent victory between the two, and has the most recent conference title. Well, you say that's the past, that's the past. Okay, well, let's go to the present. How many conference championships does each team have? How many does how many 10-win seasons does each team have? How many national championships does each team have? Like I said, the only things Texas A&M has over Texas, 
nowadays is a Heisman winner. Much deserved, by the way. Not not taking, not discrediting anything from that. Much deserved, in a better band. And I am I am honest to God on that. Texas A and M has hell of a band, and all, and I sometimes that at times they do play better than the goddamn football team. That's just honest. So while Aggies are bashing the quote unquote dumpster fire in Austin, things aren't getting much better in College Station. You just hired a $7 million coach. You played Northwestern State. Congrats. Could things turn up? Absolutely. But Tom Herman's second year, you, you, cannot, you cannot say that your program is in better shape just because of the conference that you play in that you are not producing in. You didn't produce in the Big 12. You are not producing in the SEC. But you guys are talking so much crap that, and taking so much credit for other teams' success that you might as well hang Alabama's national, ch- national championship banner in Kyle Field. That's how ridiculous it sounds. So, going forward to all my Aggie friends, neither program is in great shape right now. Neither program... Uh, is showing dominant progress. Uh, but hopefully this year, next year, and years to come, that can change and the rivalry be brought back to the state of Texas, to the fans, to the families, to the coaches, and to college football. But that concludes episode three of the Jet Suite podcast, hosted by. The one and only Rhett the Jet. And until next week, let's break it down and get some water.